love you to uh, keep your Bibles open to that passage uh, as we look at it today. Why don't we pray uh, as we get into God's Word. Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, the freedom that we have in this country to come together. Uh, thank you for the joy it is to gather, to uh, sing your praises, to talk to you, to hear from your Word, to encourage one another. I pray that as we look at this passage uh, this morning, that you would change our hearts. I pray that you'd speak to us and show us the significance of who Jesus is. I pray that you'd help us to be open to hear what you have to say to us, and that all glory would go to you. Amen. Well, how do we make sense of a world when we see injustice? I was nine years old. Uh, it was my last year in primary school. Uh, I was excited to graduate. And every year, uh, they would give an award to one of the students in the year six uh, group that were about to graduate, and it was called the Principal's Award. Now, I really wanted this award. Uh, they, what, what they do is they kind of look at um, your academic kind of standing or what you'd done for your entire schooling career. So they looked at all the years you'd been at the school and what you'd done, and they'd award it to the student based on that. Uh, now, I, I did, did extracurricular activities. I'd done uh, plays, and, and I'd been in sports groups and things like that. I thought I was pretty good. You know, I was in the running to get this award. Uh, I knew the principal. My parents knew the principal. And I was like, this is a done deal. This is it, you know? Coming to the end of primary school, principal's award. I can see it. And so the day came, and we were all sitting in the hall at the ceremony, and uh, the principal got up, and he was kind of explaining what the award is about. And I was sitting there, and I could kind of just picture it. Picture him saying, and the award goes to Lyndon Frost. And I'd stand and walk to the front, and my parents would be so proud. I'd shake his hand. He finished uh, his speech. I kind of got out of dreamland. He finished his, his thing on what the award was about, and he said, the award goes to, and I was ready... And he said, Viet. And this little boy who'd been coming to school for three months stood up and got the principal's award. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was ripped. I was like, I have been wanting to get this award for ages, you know, whole schooling career. And this kid had been coming for three months and he got the award. Injustice. For me at that time, that was the greatest injustice for me. Now, there's probably a bunch of other things that were going on for me that I needed to deal with, but at the time, that was a big deal for me. We all naturally want to see justice. We only have to flip through the front pages of the newspaper to see it, whether it's uh, the issue with uh, refugees or uh, online scams or, or mass shootings. The world is full of injustice, and it makes us angry. It makes us ask, why is this happening? Happening. It makes us ask God, where is justice? But today as we look at this psalm, the psalmist looks at the world around him and he has a different reaction towards God than maybe we do. He praises him. Have a look at verse 1 to 2. Hallelujah. My soul praised the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. He starts with praise the Lord. 
Uh, Whenever you see Lord in capitals, he's talking there about Yahweh, about uh, God the Father. And so he starts off this psalm and saying, praise the Lord. I will sing all my life. The psalmist is absolutely captivated by God. He's seen something about, about God. He's seen something about who he is, about something that he's done. Because he isn't just saying, I'll sing to the Lord and I'll praise him. But he's saying, my soul praise the Lord. Why does he use this word soul? Generally, a soul is thought to be uh, who we are, sort of the spiritual part of our body. It's our life. It's, it's what makes you you. It's kind of your being. And so what the psalmist here is saying is that with all that I am, I will praise the Lord. I exist to praise the Lord. I was created and I'm consumed by praising him. Why? Because he has a God who saves. He has a God who is just, who is compassionate, and that God deserves our praise. The psalmist goes on uh, in verse 3 to 4. He says, Do not trust in nobles, in man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Man cannot save, they'll die. We all die. We're mortal. Man is fragile. We're not in control of, any, of anything, even though we think we are. Uh, it says there, when, our, uh, when man's breath leaves him, sorry, when our breath leaves us, we will return to the ground. And he uses the word return there to emphasize the fact that we came from the ground, that we were created Mankind is not the ultimate being in the universe. We're not the top dogs. It says on that day, man's plans will die. We're not in control. We can't save. Death is inevitable and there's nothing that we can do to stop it. But we try to, don't we? We try to slow death down and its effects. We look for answers uh, of look, look for the answers of life and what true justice is amongst us. Those who are, are doing great things in the world around us or who have been successful, we look to them for the answers. Or we trust ourselves. I can define what is right and wrong. I will bring justice. I'll save myself by the way that I live now. If there is a God, then He will accept me. But the psalmist says, no. Don't trust in man who cannot save. They and their plans will die. I wonder, who do you trust? Do you trust in man or maybe you trust in yourself? Maybe you believe in God and and you trust him, but there's still areas of your life that you're not willing to give over to him. You still kind of think there is uh, that the way that I live now, if I'm kind of good enough, then I can kind of get into heaven. Stop. See that only God can save. We need to stop worshiping ourselves. We're not to worship the creation, but we're to worship the creator. And the psalmist gets it. They see how fragile and unworthy man is, and they see God. 
They see God and what he's done. They see who he is. And they see what he promises to do. Have a look at verse 5. Happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The psalmist here praises God for what he's done in the past. Uh, the Israelites knew the history of God, how God had treated them. And so when they heard the phrase, the God of Jacob, uh, they knew and they remembered the way that God had been faithful to them, the way that he had delivered them. And so the psalmist praises and trusts God for the way that he acted in the past, but also for who he is and what he does now. Have a look in verse 6. This is talking about God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. This is the God who is worthy of our praise. The creator of all things, the one who spoke and the universe was created. And here we see a contrast between God and mankind. Mankind returned to the ground, but God created everything. On that day, man's plans will die, but God remains faithful forever. Mankind cannot save, but God executes justice for the exploit, exploited and gives food to the hungry. The psalmist is saying, why would you ever worship mankind when you have seen what God has done? It's like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, one of the great wonders of the world. And as you're standing there, you look down and you see a little rock at the bottom and you go, wow, look at that rock. That is an amazing rock. Wow. Man, I'm so glad that we came today to the Grand Canyon so that I could see that rock. You're like, what? That's crazy. Look up. Look where you are. The Grand Canyon. You're like like in awe of a rock and you haven't seen where you are. In the same way, the psalmist is saying, we'd be crazy to worship mankind, to worship the creation. If we've seen who God is, we're to worship the creator. Now the psalm says, he is faithful forever that he executes justice. Uh, God in his nature is just, executing perfect justice, and he's faithful. Do you know what that means, that he's, that he's faithful? It means that he keeps his promises, that he stays true to his character. There's no moment where God isn't just, where he isn't loving, where he isn't sovereign, where he isn't compassionate. He's faithful and we can trust him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that such a comfort that God keeps his promises and that we can trust him? The God that is put before us today is the creator of all things. The sustainer of all life, a, a God who is compassionate, who is generous, who is just. And we see this through his actions. Have a look at the end of verse 7 uh, through to verse 10. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Uh, the Lord raises up those who are oppressed. He loves the righteous. He, loves, and he protects the foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. 
Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. You can sum these verses up in two words. God saves. Man, isn't this a God that you want to worship? Isn't this a God that you want to praise with all that you are? A God that raises up the oppressed, that frees the prisoners, that reigns forever. This is what we so desperately desire as humans, isn't it? We desire justice, we desire peace and compassion. They're things that are kind of instinctively part of our, our DNA that we, we all kind of desire. We have charities that help starving children. We have our beauty pageant contestants that desire world peace. We long to see freedom for the oppressed. And the psalmist says man can't do these things. But God can. He saves and he's just. But this is where it kind of gets a little bit awkward. It seems that as I look around the world, this isn't a reality. As I look at the world around me, I don't see these things. It's not reality for me. I mean, the Israelites, as kind of this was being written and stuff, the Israelites uh, didn't have freedom from slavery. They were oppressed throughout their history. There's still blindness in the world. There are still people who are oppressed. There are still prisoners. So how can we praise God? How can we stand with the psalmist and say, praise God for what he's done? Does God do these things? Does he save? Where is the king that reigns forever? We'll have a look at John 12, uh, verse 14 to 15. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Just as it is written, fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Where is the king? The king is Jesus. How has Jesus done these things? How, uh, how can we know that, that, that he's done these things? And, and what did he come to do? Have a look at Luke 4, verse 18 to 21. This is Jesus uh, reading from uh, a scroll from Isaiah. Uh, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus is that king. Jesus is the answer. He is the fulfillment of this psalm. You see, the psalmist knew God and what he'd done in the past, but was unknowingly pointing forward to Jesus, whom God would do these things through. And it's amazing that we get to see and we get to experience this. You see, God came to preach good news to the poor. And that good news is that he is God. That through trusting him, we can be saved. He came to proclaim freedom to the captive, to give sight to the blind, to free the oppressed, to provide a way that the chains of sin and death could be broken 
and to offer perfect life with him. That's what he came to do. But we still live in a broken world. You see, the key to understanding the list above of what God, uh, what is said that God does is that God doesn't promise to do these things now while we're living on earth. God doesn't promise to stop the effects of sin in our lives now. He doesn't promise to give sight to the blind now or free the oppressed now. Or, pro- or uh, What he promises is much more. He promises eternal life with no more suffering, with no more pain, with him forever if we trust him. You see, Jesus didn't come to heal people physically and make life better and more comfortable now. He came to deal with a bigger issue, and that issue is our sin, our rejection of God. When Jesus died on that cross, he took the punishment that we deserved for rejecting God, which is death. Someone had to pay the price because we have a just God. There had to be a consequence. consequence. There had to be justice. And so he took on that punishment himself. As he hung on that cross, it was the greatest demonstration of justice and love that the world had ever seen. Through Jesus, the prisoner will be set free forever. Through Jesus, the blind will see forever. Through Jesus, the oppressed will be free forever. He didn't come to fix the, uh, he didn't come for the short-term solution, but Jesus came for the eternal solution. No more sickness, no more sin, no more pain, no more death forever. This is why we praise God with the psalmist. Because we have a God that reigns forever. Unlike the nobles and the leaders and the royals of our time, God reigns for all generations. He executes perfect and generous justice on the cross because he is faithful. He will keep his promises. And so if you trust him, you will have life forever. This is why we praise him. We praise God not because of his faithfulness in the past generations and then he frees the oppressed, but because he reigns forever, because Jesus has come. Death is defeated. The one who does these things is the one who reigns in Zion forever. God is the one who reigns in Zion. Uh, Zion is the city of God. It's used in the Old Testament to talk about Jerusalem. And so where is God's justice? Seen on the cross. Jesus is the one who saves, unlike man. He's the one who reigns, unlike the nobles. And he is faithful. So trust him. I wonder, do you stand with the psalmist today and say, praise the Lord? I wonder, can you say, Praise the Lord, my soul. All that I am, praise the Lord. If not, why? I wonder, has the news of what Jesus has done and what he offers penetrated your heart? 
Has Jesus captivated you in such a way that you make your life defined by praising and worshiping God? I think it's important to note that we need to worship God, not just in song, but in all of our life. We worship God in how we live, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. What do you worship? What is the most important thing in your life? I wonder if we were to watch a tape, a video of uh, your life over the last two weeks, what would we say you worship? What would we say is the most important thing in your life? You know, I think for myself, I often struggle with this. There are often times when I'm worshiping other things than God where I can't say all that I am, praise the Lord, my eyes drift, I lose focus. There's times when I take what Jesus has done for granted. Uh, it doesn't penetrate my heart. Uh, I, had that, I had this happen this week. Um, I don't know if you're supposed to say this as a preacher, but um, I wasn't super excited about preaching this week. I'll be, I'll be honest. I didn't want to preach this week. Uh, I just wasn't excited about the passage. Uh, I, I'm a little bit tired. Abby and I are about to, uh, we have a week off on Monday, so I was kind of looking forward to that, and I was like, get this sermon done, and then, you know, we're on holiday. Um, and as I was reading the passage, I knew it was true. I believed it. But I wasn't excited about it. There weren't sparks kind of flowing. I wasn't marveling at who God was and was like, yes, I'm excited to preach on this. I'd been writing for a bunch of days and I'd been asking God, can you get me excited about this passage? But nothing. (laughs) Uh, About 10.30 a.m. yesterday, I stopped uh, and I was like, I got to, read this passage just three times and I just ask God to change my heart. I ask God to help me focus on his son. And as I was, as I was reading these, uh, this passage um, over three times consecutively, I kind of got it. <laughs> it clicked. I realized that I had to stop kind of thinking and looking forward to this holiday that was coming And I actually had to just see the significance of who Jesus was. I was reminded that he is the king, that he offers perfect life, that he didn't come for the short-term solution, but he came for the long-term, the eternal solution that he offers, perfect life with him forever. Man, forget a holiday. This is amazing. Maybe today you need to ask God to help you see afresh who he is. Maybe you need to ask God to help you see who Jesus is, the life and the freedom that he offers. Maybe you need to ask him to change your heart, to stop worshiping yourself or someone else. Maybe today you're still uh, kind of checking out who Jesus is. Uh, You're sort of unsure about this whole Christianity thing and uh, not ready to kind of sign on the dotted line that, Um, you trust Jesus, then I want to encourage you to come, to come and see the God who is compassionate, who is just, to stop trusting and worshiping and man who cannot save. Put your life and 
Jesus' hands, experience the amazing uh, freedom and hope and life that's found in a relationship with God. Maybe come along to explaining Christianity. Uh, Ask questions. See up close who Jesus is. Friends, justice will come. Jesus will bring freedom for the oppressed, and so praise him. Your soul, praise him with all that you are. See his goodness, his love, his justice, and sing. Praise. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us. Uh, That while we were still uh, rejecting you, wanted nothing to do with you, you sent Jesus, your only son, to provide a way that we could have eternal life with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the significance of who he is, to not take the gospel for granted, but to remember that we have an eternal life with no more pain and no more suffering awaiting us. Father, help us to praise the Lord. Help us to be a joyful people who stands in awe of who you are and what you've done. Amen.